standing to honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, a reading from the gospel of Luke, the third gospel, chapter 12, where Jesus is talking to his followers about what it means to be faithful. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The words of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. As you're seated, we'll invite children, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade to be dismissed for a special time of worship. And as all that energy leaves the room, we'll continue with a reading from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11 and beginning of verse 12. The writer's talking again about what it means to be faithful, and he's giving a roll call of uh, the faithful which ends with the image of the cloud of witness, which we have embraced here at Highland Baptist Church. The hymn we sang at the beginning of the hour is a hymn written for this, this church and even this sanctuary, for we are surrounded by the cloud of witness, by the, uh, wind, the representation of the windows. Here's what the writer said. By faith, people pass through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lion, quenched raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight." Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, persecuted, tormented. 
of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And yet, all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. We pray that we will keep our hearts and ears open to hear the word that comes through all the many words that are spoken. That one word that penetrates to the deepest, most innermost place where your glory is revealed and where life is made new. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So I didn't mean to set this up like some scene from The Daily Show, uh, trying to catch Jesus in some kind of double talk or a lie. But is he, in fact, a uniter or a divider? Did he come to bring peace or did he come to disturb the peace? I can hear, on the one hand, the soundtrack of Jesus' life. I've been marinated in this stuff, and you have too. We know the stories. We can hear how peace has permeated his whole life from the very beginning when the angels announced his birth. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth what? Peace, goodwill to all. We can hear him standing on the mount and giving his sermon where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Later he said, my peace I give to you, my own peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, so don't be afraid. He talked about the peace that passed all understanding. He, even when we killed him and God raised him from the dead, he came back to those who had, who had denied him and said, peace be with you. It's a soundtrack of his life. Then we read a passage like today where Jesus says, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Five in a household divided. Three against two, two against three. Or this passage from the epistle to the Hebrews. The story of what happens to the people of faith. My goodness, it's, it's enough to keep a sixth grader paying attention while you read the text, right? Sawn in two, swords, it's all kind of good stuff as far as kids go. So when you ask, does Jesus divide or unite? Is he bringing peace or division? It's not about catching him in a mistake or a paradox. It's rather an invitation for you and me. Because this is a very important question. How we answer the question, is Jesus a divider or a uniter, affects how we go about our life. If the answer can only be one or the other, yes or no, right or wrong, if it can only be either Jesus comes to bring peace, you're only going to get so far with that answer. 
Or on the other hand, if for you Jesus is a divider, you can, get a, you can go a distance with that. But it only is going to take you so far. Because I think in reality, what we discover in faith is that Jesus is both. He's a uniter. He's a divider. He brings peace. He disturbs your peace. At least that's my story. I, like many of you who come to Highland Baptist Church, have been absorbed in Jesus' teachings, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his parables, his confrontation with the powers, his death, his resurrection. And as I look at all of that, as I put that through the, 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 the sifter of my own life, I conclude that Jesus is first and foremost a uniter, a peace bringer. Jesus declares that God's dream is about love. It's about harmony. It's about abundance. It's about inclusion. It's about the wolf and the lamb lying together. It's about the capacity that we all have to repent, to turn, and to be forgiven so that we might all become, in some mystical way, one. One. One with God, one with each other, one with our deepest selves. You remember Rodney King some years ago? His dream for the world? When he got up before the cameras and he said, why can't everyone just get along? It's God's dream for the world. And so we envision this good, this place where we can all get along, where there's room for everyone, and we work toward that vision. For Jesus is a uniter. He comes to bring peace. But before we get too cozy in peace, to get to real peace, let's also acknowledge that Jesus also has to be a divider, a separator. And by that I mean that Jesus divides us from everything that is destructive and greedy and fearful, and false, and forced, and phony, we are separated from those things. Now, as a young believer, that was fairly easy for me. As a boy, my sense was that the devil wore a red suit with horns, had a pitchfork, smelled of sulfur. Just You could identify the devil anywhere, and you could point to him and say, I separate from you. As a kid, for me, it was Catholics and prostitutes. <laughs> I separated from them. Catholics, they prayed to Mary, they drank beer, and I heard one cuss one time, so they're bad. And prostitutes, because they were involved in sex and stuff. And even though both of those things, all of that intrigued me, I still felt this call to, <laughs> to separate. But then you get to that place where you realize there are, in fact, people and places and ideas, policies that you just have to separate from. They bring you down. They pull you away from God. They, they, they harm you. They harm your life. They harm those around you. They bring out your worst. 
And so you separate yourself from them. Sometimes it's hard because it's all you know, but you separate yourself from them. You kids starting school, there'll be a point at which you'll have to say, I like you, you're my friend, but I, I can't go where you're going. I can't do what you're doing. It's hard. And I honor you when you do it. But then there are those times when the thing that you need to separate from is not just completely out there. It's more of an inside job. It's your family. It's your culture. It's the way you were raised. It's the way we were taught to think and be. It's your family. They may be quirky. They may have some weird things, but, but they're beautiful. They're benign. It's your family. That's the last place you ever think that you might need to look to reexamine to re-examine your attitudes about your own privilege, your own assumptions about the world. I mean, it's your family. There's no pitchforks. There's no red suits. This is what Jesus described, the household, the mother, the son, the father, the daughter, the mother-in-law, the daughter-in-law. We're all together. I was 13 years old. I was living in suburban Dayton, Ohio, when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Right before he was assassinated, he gave a speech where he used a line that's sticking with me these days. It's this. Someone told a lie one day. Someone told a lie one day. They couched it in language, he said. They said that black was ugly and evil. He said, look it up in the dictionary. Look at the synonyms for black. Degrading, low, sinister. By contrast, look at the synonyms for white. Pure, high, clean. Someone told a lie one day. And we built a whole mindset around that lie. I was only 13 years old. I didn't hear the speech. No one ever told me this lie outright. No one was that blatantly racist. But there was this sense in the world in which I lived that black people were poor because in a different way from the rest of us, they were bad. They were less. They were not as smart, not as creative, not as uh, conscientious, not as uh, careful about their homes or, or their money. And we built a whole narrative around this. That explained us why we lived where we lived and they lived where they lived. Someone told a lie one day. And it's taken many, many years for the light to dawn on me, for my eyes to be opened for for me to see that, as the apostle said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. You do the things that your culture says. But when I became a man, said Paul, I put away childish things. That is, I began to think more maturely, more fairly, more equally. And I realize now, What I could not have seen as a boy, but it's true that the reason that parts of Dayton looked the way they did 
were not because black people were ugly or evil or degraded or low or sinister or lazy or dumb or inferior, but rather it's because they've been cheated out of wealth for hundreds of years. The opportunity to grow wealth, to pass on from generation to generation that which many of us take for granted. Even today, in the city of Louisville, in 2016, there are still signs of white cronyism, white privilege, white preference. And once you see it, well, now now what do you do? People don't want to hear it. It it messes with the system. It messes with the equilibrium of the the world we live in. Let me remind you that all of those creative ways that the early Christians were tortured and killed, those creative ways were invented by civil society, by by the the Roman uh, Empire, by by the religious people who had been co-opted by the Roman Empire. Good people... They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want the status quo challenged. But sometimes, sometimes you got to speak out of the truth. You've been divided from that which is the lie. And it stands up for you as such a blatant lie that you've got to speak the truth. Well, there are those times where Jesus comes into our life and divides us from other people, other places, other systems, other positions, other points of view. But then there are those times when Jesus comes to divide us, not just externally, but Jesus comes to divide us from that which is embedded in us, to use a military term, embedded deep within us, those destructive and greedy and false and phony and fake and fearful things that make us do things that we don't even realize sometimes that we're doing. Thomas Merton called this the false self, the part of ourselves that is fearful, worried about not being good enough, so we fake it or we force it. And Jesus comes along and divides us enough from our false self that we can step back just a little bit and look at it and go, oh, oh, I've not seen that before. Or, oh, I've seen that before. I thought I hid that away long ago, but there it is. And Jesus Jesus wants to get it out and look at it like it's the family album. And you're, you're embarrassed, you're mortified, you're disoriented. His unspoken word is asking you questions that you don't want to hear. His, his invisible light is revealing corners of your life that you thought were hidden away. His shepherd staff finds you when you're lost and hopeless and you hate yourself. And he wants to do something with that. He divides you from it and invites you to see it so that we can do something with it. We can heal. We can grow. We can be transformed. 
You want to run. You want to run from it, but you find the grace not to run. You stay and you face it and you confront it and it hurts. It hurts. But you persevere. And you find not only are you healed, it's like you're born again. It's like you've been raised from the dead. This has been a monumental year for me personally. I've had a flurry of resurrection experiences. A flurry of these moments of division where I can see myself more clearly. And I've had quite a few what I call Buzz Lightyear moments. Remember Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story? Do you remember that moment when Buzz is looking at a TV and sees the real Buzz Lightyear and realizes for the first time he's not the real Buzz Lightyear? Do you remember that look, that chagrin, that, oh, oh, I've had a lot of those moments. I've also had some Thomas Merton moments. You've heard of the moment that he had here in the city of Louisville at 4th and Walnut, now 4th and Muhammad Ali, where he saw for the first time that the people he encountered on the streets, even if he didn't know them, that he was closer to them than he could have ever realized, that they were one, and that they shined like the sun. And I realize none of this would happen for me. And I don't think any of this can happen for you unless Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes and disturbs your peace and invites you in love to grow, to change, to move, to be transformed, to be born again. Thanks be to God for divine disturbances, for sleepless nights when hidden things are revealed, when it hurts, but it hurts so good because we see and we realize and we know it's possible through God who is revealed in Jesus for us to be born again. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May your word find a home in hearts that are open. And may it heal and transform and bless the world as you dream. In your holy name we pray. Amen.